All right, we'll go ahead and uh, and get started. So, um, let me just make sure this is working. Okay. All right. Um, so let's go back to uh, Romans Romans twelve, and we are going to um, put a cap uh, tonight. On um, the topic of hospitality that we came across in uh, back in verse thirteen of Romans chapter twelve, so Romans twelve, verse thirteen. So let's just take a look at it one more time. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So last week we. Uh, started talking about uh, hospitality as a uh, basically a three-legged stool that there's uh, three main uh, support systems um, that are foundational for uh, hospitality. Um, and pretty much everything out of hospitality is going to come out of or be supported by these uh, by these three um, legs or pillars or um, support systems, wh- whatever whatever you know phrase or terminology or uh, that you want to use um, uh, works there. Uh, I'm, I'm using leg. Um, so we said last week the first leg of hospitality is our experience of God's gracious nature. So hospitality, as taught in the Bible, cannot happen apart from um, you and I having experienced God's gracious nature. Okay, And that's apparent. Not go, don't want to run back through the first verse of uh, Romans 12, but it is the, it's the mercy of God, it's the grace of God that we've experienced that creates this uh, biblical hospitality. Now, again, I just want to stress that what what we're talking about needs to we need to make sure that you know we see the the difference between what the scripture calls us to in hospitality and then what the world calls hospitality. Okay, that's that's important. I mean, the the world has a whole industry based on hospitality, but you know. Um, that that system of hospitality works uh, as a you know almost a, a quid uh, pro quo, right? I give you something, you give me something in in return, right? So you charge me, you know, two hundred dollars a night to stay in a hotel. Well, I expect to get a two hundred dollar a night room, a two hundred dollar a night experience. That is the kind of hospitality that the world sees. The kind of hospitality you and I are talking about here is a hospitality that has no uh, quid pro quo. Okay, we're not we're not doing because we expect someone to do in return. As a matter of fact, we really we really have the uh, the opposite approach to that. We do with really the expectation of nothing be, being done in return. And so, but this. 
this nature of hospitality that is in us is, is supported by and it is grown out of, first, the, the gracious nature of God. that We've, we've had that experience. Now, tonight we're going we're gonna to put the last two legs on hospitality. Second leg um, is going to be the shortest, uh, and then the, the third one will be uh, a little longer. So hospitality, we have to experience God's gracious nature, leg one. Leg two is hospitality as covenant union. So don't, don't check out when you hear covenant union, because I, I want to explain that to you, because once you see the importance uh, of this, um, it might be short in what I'm going to say about it, but it, that does not mean that it is... Um, any less important. Just as, there, just as there is real union between each believer and God by virtue of covenant, right? That's what salvation is. Salvation is we enter into this covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, it's, it's really not even uh, two-sided like I made it. Really, it's He enters into covenant with us, right? Because unless He comes and brings us into this covenant, we are, um, we're going to remain outside of it. And really, in this covenant, He's the one carrying the weight of the covenant, not us. Okay? He's the one carrying the weight of the covenant, not us. And if He wasn't, the covenant wouldn't last at all. Why? Because we would, we would break loose from the covenant. We would quit. And you've already quit. I mean, think about how many times you've quit on the covenant. And yet, you remain a Christian only because once he enters into a covenantal relationship, there is no divorce. Once you enter, enter into a covenantal relationship with God... There is no divorce, period. He will not give up on the relationship. So there's a real union between believer and God, but there's also a real union between each believer and all other believers. So... We don't use this terminology near enough. We don't use the term we don't even use the word covenant near enough. But really, do you know what the church is? It is a covenant community. That's really, I mean, like if we if somebody said, What is church? You know, we might say, Well, it's preaching, it's it's Bible teaching, it's it's worship, it's uh, a group of people that meet together to worship God. I mean, we could come up with a bazillion definitions of what the church is. or I shouldn't say what it is as much as uh, how it functions. But if you ask what is the church, the church is a covenant community. And see, that, that word covenant changes everything. Um, I was at a church on Monday that, I just took out pest control with us. 
And so anyway, I was talking to the guy that was kind of taking us around, showing us the facility. And anyway, we got to talking about church, and, and um, that led into a conversation. He got to talking about, you know, kind of uh, uh, church hopping, you know, just people change church to church to church to church to church and never really settle in and never really stick and stay anywhere for any one period of time. And I told him I, the, the actual the church that I was that we were starting up was the church I grew up in, but it's no longer that church because that church no longer exists. It's defunct because it, it went bankrupt, basically. Um, and the, the cause of the bankruptcy was ultimately is that uh, there was growth over a short, a, a, a tremendous amount of growth over a short period of time, and the church staked pretty much $4.4 million on a two-year growth, which is pretty significant, probably uh, probably somewhere between two and 300 people added to the church in about a two-year period. So, hey, we're growing fast. We got these big numbers. We got all these people coming. We need to build this big building. And so, um, you know, they, they assumed this $4.4 million debt, $32,000 a month uh, building payment. That's interest only. They weren't even paying any on the principal. They were just going to pay the interest to start with. And so guess what happened? Probably 75% of those people that of that big church, of, of that big growth, were people that came from pockets of other churches that were not doing so well. So their, their growth came through what is known as transfer growth. And I remember back in those days talking to my grandparents, and, and, and their biggest concern, also my biggest concern for them was, how do you know those people are going to stay? How do you know those people are going to stay? You're making a huge financial commitment based on the fact that you've had a whole bunch of people that have, that have never proven themselves to be um, stable in a church, and yet um, basically what you're counting on is they're going to stick around for the next 10 to 20 years and help you pay off this debt. Well, guess what happened? They didn't stay around, and they never did pay off the debt, and the church that I grew up in ceased to exist at that campus. Why? Because, because, we, because people do not have a covenantal mindset when it comes to church, and, and even, more, even more than to a church, to, to other believers. Again, what does that say? A, a covenant is basically uh, this. A covenant is where um, two people say, this is what I'm going to do. But here's the difference between covenant and contract. So if, if, Ron, and I went in, if Ron and I took out a contract tonight, uh, the contract would basically state that I, Jason Grissom, will perform such and such duties and... Ron Harold will perform such and such duties. And if one of us fail to perform our duties, then the contract is broken, right? We can walk away. No matter what other promises we've made, we can walk away. 
A covenant says, I, Jason Grissom, are going to do such. I, Ron Harrell, are going to do... I will do such regardless if the other person holds up their end of the bargain or not. Regardless of whether the other person keeps their word or not. That is... That is what a covenant is. That's why marriage is called a covenant. Because it is, I'm going to, I'm going to stick and stay regardless if you fulfill your vows or not. And so, in the relationship between believers, we are in a covenant union with each other. We are a covenant community. We often mistakenly think of church as a kind of uh, of a bottle filled with with a loose collection of marbles, and its only purpose is to hold those distinct, atomized individuals together in one location for one day of the week. They are together, but there's re- no real bond between them. This is far from the truth, in that we are joined to Christ. And we are joined to one another as well. We are members of one body, and we cannot exist in isolation from each other. You know, you know this. What I'm about to say is tricky. Okay, so um, I probably shouldn't say it because I know it's going to be misunderstood. Uh, The world, and even people within the church have, especially the world, I'm just going to stay right there, the world especially, cannot understand why Christians are so eager to get back to church. They, they just, you know, they, they just don't, they don't understand that. Why can't you just stay isolated and stay away from your churches and, Why can't Christians do that? Because it's like being away from part of yourself. I mean, if we really are a covenant community, then you're as, you're, you are as much a part of me as I am a part of you. Now, we may not, we may not look at it that deep, but that, that's the true reality of what it is. We are one. We are one body. We're going to talk about Sunday, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. I mean, there, there, there is a deep connectivity, and it's more than connectivity. We, we are really intertwined into each other's lives, and that's the, that's the way that it's supposed to be. And so when we are apart, when we are isolated, um, it is not profitable for us. It doesn't work well for us. We don't do well. Covenant community is not a nice fringe benefit of Christianity. It is essential. A Christian cannot exist apart from it, and those who are isolated are in great danger of perishing spiritually. No individual member can prosper apart from the whole. 
Did you hear what I said? No individual member can prosper apart from the whole. I have spent 30 years arguing with people who, who believe with all of their heart that they, that they can be okay spiritually apart from a covenant community of believers. And that is, that is absolutely a lie from the pit of hell. That person has fallen under the delusion of the devil. It, th- th- there's, only, there's only two answers to someone who says that they, can, that they can prosper spiritually apart from a covenant community of faith. They are either under the delusion of the devil or they're not a Christian at all. That is the only two explanations for that kind of attitude. Our American mentality of individualism and anti-covenantal... Oh, this, is a big, this, this word always trips me up. Covenantalism deludes us into thinking we can exist by ourselves. There's, there's, there, there, I mean, being an American is great in many ways, and being an American in many ways uh, is not great. And part of, the, uh, part of, a, a, of being an American that often causes us so much, so many problems spiritually, is this individual mindset that we have developed as Americans. If Christians actually listened to Jesus and understood His role as head of a new race, they would hear that they need both Him and the church, His body. He saves men and women through the ministry of His body, And the metaphor of a body is not used lightly. It's full of instruction. If a person cuts off his little finger, what happens to it? It does not find itself or realize its dreams or grow to be independent or mature or strong without the hand, right? Disconnected from the nourishment of the body... It disintegrates into nothing. It dies. It returns to dirt. A a similar decomposition occurs when a believer is isolated from the body. He or she causes suffering to himself and to the body because we need others in order to prosper in grace. You see, here's what happens. This is what we don't often consider is not only does the person who is isolated from the body of Christ, not only are they suffering, though some would say that they're not, again, delusional, okay? They They are suffering apart from the body. And the body which they should be a part of is being affected by the fact that they are not there. If you really believe that you don't need other Christians, that you don't need fellowship, that you, that you do not need to be deeply connected into a, a covenant community of faith, then God help you. Because you, you are in a poor, pitiful state of being. You might be like the church that Jesus writes of in Revelation. 
that he speaks of. You think you're doing well, but you're poor, pitiful, wretched, and blind. That's what he said to the church at Laodicea. He said, you guys think that you're really doing well, but you're poor, pitiful, wretched, and blind. And anybody who thinks that they can do this life called Christianity apart from a covenant community of faith is poor, pitiful, wretched, and blind. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, yeah, finally some verses. 1 Corinthians 12, 20. As it is written, there are many parts, okay, watch, many parts, but what? One. 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 The covenant does not destroy our uh, individuality. We are all different. And I hope that we love that truth, that we laugh about it, and that we fully appreciate its consequences. I hope that all Christians can fully delight in the amazing beauty of the lawful variations that exist between us. There are many members, and the, co- and, and the covenant of God's grace does not destroy our personality. It just sanctifies it. God doesn't want us all to look like each other. He doesn't want us to all act like... I mean, in some ways, yes, He wants us to act like each other, but through, but, but through our personality. God doesn't come to change my personality. He comes to sanctify my personality. Just like the body has so many different parts, and God gives people within the body of Christ so many different gifts, but He also gives within the body of Christ so many different types of people. And I'm not talking about race. I'm talking about personality, and I'm talking about giftedness. Why? Because the body needs to be balanced. Each member still remains him or herself, though it is always a better self when joined to the body. (laughs) Some of the strangest people I've met over the years have been people that professed to be Christians and were disconnected from from a covenant community. I'm talking about strange, like weirdos. I mean, like, coming up with, you know, stuff that you're just like, what? I remember meeting a guy in uh, Leesburg, Virginia. We were going door to door, uh, doing some evangelism, and having this conversation with him. And I mean, like, the guy just had some of the strangest ideas out of the Bible. I mean, just stuff that just, you know, that you might run up on on some kind of, bizarre religious website on the you know on on the web so the more we got to talking guess what i found out about this guy not plugged into a uh, a covenant uh, 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 a co- i mean a community a covenant community 
And so we started talking about that. Well, why are you not plugged into a covenant community? Of course, he ran through all the traditional reasons why he doesn't go to church and all the issues there and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, yeah, that's, this, is, this guy is a great example of how what Christians look like apart from a covenant community. They are weird, they make no sense, and they, and they make people scratch their head about the Christian faith. Yeah, so there's at least there's at least forty six or forty seven distinct one another commands in the scripture. Distinct. There are more than that because some are, are repeated. Why? Because there's there there is a peculiar way that we are to do life with each other, and we cannot look. We have to just absolutely. Uh, be obedient to a vast amount of the commands that Christ gave us if we isolate ourselves. And again, I mean, um, when we call, I mean, when, when, when we just live lives of perpetual disobedience, the Scripture would, you know, would call, would call us on the carpet for that. Would call to even question the validity of our own... Uh, Profession of faith. And so, um, we cannot do this life apart. We are better when we are joined to the body. So here's some other verses, okay? Here's some other verses. Look at, the, well, we're actually continuing in First Corinthians 12, uh, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary... The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our uh, unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Which are our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it that there may be, watch, no division in the body, but that the members must, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So no, no matter how honorable or dishonorable a certain member may seem, all are necessary to all others, and no member can do anything of itself. We need each other. The unity of the body of Christ inspires a holy sentiment, but being theologically grounded, it is not mere, it's just not, it's just not us being sentimental. Our interdependence is natural and inescapable because God uses the ministry, listen to this, of each. Of each individual member to sanctify and build up the whole. This verse right here, watch this. For whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, watch this, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
when each part is working properly, what's the effect? We grow. We grow corporately, spiritually, corporately, and we grow individually. Again, you if you attempt to grow spiritually in an isolated context, you might, well, you can make some progress in that growth, but nothing like you would have had you been in a body had you been in a covenant community so west brought up those one another's how do you forgive so the bible says forgive one another how do you forgive how do you forgive somebody if you're not around somebody i mean that is that is the assumed uh, posture that Christians, well, I shouldn't say posture. That is the uh, that is the assumed experience that we're going to have in the church. Ron's going to sin against me. I'm going to sin against Ron. We're going to need to forgive each other. Well, what happens when we forgive each other? We get stronger. We we grow up. Why? Because we're literally practicing the faith. We are exercising the faith. It tells me to pray for one another. So when Wes and I pray with each other, or I pray for him, guess what we're doing? We're exercising the faith. Love one another. And in particular, what did Jesus say? That you get nothing accounted to you if you love the people that you love. It's about, true love is about loving, in particular, those that you find most difficult to love. And buddy, if you're looking for a place to find people that are difficult to love, the, no, I'm not just talking about Eureka, I'm talking about the church in general is full of difficult people to love. And guess what? You're one of them. I mean, I look around, and all of y'all look lovely, and look easy to love, but I'm going to tell you something. All of you, for somebody is somebody that they find difficult to love. Though you may just think you're teddy bear lovable. I know, I know that for certain people that I'm, I'm a tough love. Just like I know there are certain people that are tough loves for me. But listen, the Bible doesn't call, it doesn't call me even to a type of love that endures them, it calls me to a love that loves them. Remember what we said when, when we, uh, what, two weeks ago, when we, where we read the scripture says, Bless those uh, who persecute you. And, and you remember what that word bless meant? It, it meant, you know, not just to speak good of them while in your heart saying, I hope none of that really happens. No, it is literally to wish them good, to truly desire to see them have the best. 
not just speaking it, it's truly to be desirous of it. The same thing with love. The same thing with love. But the only way that you can learn to love... So let, let, me, let me give an example here. I, I think I'll give this example and we'll just stop for the evening. Um, when I was in high school, um, so I was 16, I was coming to the end of my sophomore year. I mean, I grew, I'm, you guys know, I mean, I grew up in church my whole life, went to church every Sunday, went to church Wednesday night, went to training union, was in youth choir, kids choir, uh, RAs, um, you know, just anything and everything that had to do with the church, uh, you know, I was, I was involved in. But it wasn't until halfway through my sophomore year that I, I met this, uh, this well, he, he and I, we weren't the best of friends at that time. We were just more, we were neighborhood kids who knew each other, played ball together. We were just, you know, I'd say acquaintances at best. And he had gotten his driver's license, and he had told me, he said, hey, man, if you don't want to ride the cheese wagon, I'll be more than happy to swing by and pick you up on the way to school. And I'm like, dude, that, yeah, absolutely. Get off the bus, uh, be down, you know, to be in the student parking lot where you can hang out in the morning before you have to go to class. Uh, absolutely, that'd be great. So he comes by and picks me up. And so our friendship, <clears throat> our 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 being acquaintances, uh, you know, starts to uh, morph into uh, uh, more of a friendship. And one of the things, something about, you know, this guy that I noticed was that his faith and my faith, though the same, seemed to have some striking differences. (laughs) I mean, like, really striking differences. Like, one... His work Monday through Friday, where mine was pretty much a Sunday-Wednesday kind of deal. And um, so anyway, so speed up the story here. That, 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 that really started working on me big time. And um, we had a, uh, this was in the spring of my sophomore year, we had a spring revival at church. And it was during that spring revival that, you know, just... It was like the faith that I had received at 10 years old. For whatever reason, it just went from being something that I had and that I, that I believed and that I practiced to some extent. It moved from that to, this is the way, this, this is the way I'm going to live my life every second of every minute of every hour of every day. You know, just kind of a, you know, it wasn't like some big light went off or, you know, I mean, you know, I didn't, you know, have a snot fest kind of cry down in the altar. It was just almost like a, I don't know, it was just a very surreal moment. It It was like, okay, either I believe this or I don't. And if I believe this, this is more than, Wednesday, Sunday, okay? And so anyway, so my life just, I mean, almost it was almost like getting saved all over again, but I wasn't. I mean, my life did a quick just, and it, it wasn't like it happened overnight, 
because it had been happening over time, but kind of when I crossed that line, it was like cross and turn and going the other way. And so, you know, I, I began to read the Bible. I began to pray. Um, you know, just eliminated a lot of stuff out of my life that I felt like was really um, kind of running contrary to what I believe, music I listen to, stuff like that. And so the Lord just began to do this work. Well, there was a guy that I went to school with, and his name was Jason as well. And he so much wanted to be a part of the group that I ran with. He was a nuisance. I mean, I mean, just a nuisance. Like, we couldn't go, the guys that I ran with, we might go shoot basketball, we'd go play tennis, we might go play golf. I mean, we played every sport. I mean, you just name a sport. We, you know, just whatever season it was, uh, you know, we, we would play it. And it always seemed like this guy could find out. I mean, this is like pre-GPS. There's no iPhone, find a friend going on. None of that, none of that technology even existed. But we could be wherever, and somehow he could find us. And everybody's like, who told him? Who told him where we were going? I didn't tell him. I didn't tell him. I didn't tell him. But he could find us. And uh, this guy just drove me crazy. And so, but in my personal, but in my, my, you know, my my devotional time, I had really been praying about that. And I had really been asking the Lord, you know, Lord, give me a heart for people. I want to, I want to love people like you love. I want to, um, you know, I just want to have a heart for people like you have a heart for people. Because I knew that I didn't. And so one night we were, uh, we were playing tennis. I'll never forget it. I drive by it all the time. And there's not a time that I drive by that, that it doesn't remind me. But there's some uh, tennis courts, outdoor tennis courts, at, at the uh, Golden Springs Community Center. So we were there playing one night, and lo and behold... Jason shows up. Hey, man, can I get in? Can I get in? So we were playing some doubles. We were like, yeah, yeah, you can get in. You can get in. And so I'm playing net. He's playing net. And uh, I'm thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to inflict some pain on this guy. If I get a volley and I, and, and, and I can put a smash on it, oh, I'm going to smash it right into him. I mean, I am going to intentionally inflict some pain. That's bad. I mean, I think about it now, and I'm like, you know, and you were like trying to live for the Lord, and you just want to, you want to inflict bodily harm in a way that you can say, oh man, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't see you there. You know? I didn't mean, you know. And so lo and behold, it didn't take long. The perfect moment happened. And I, and, and I laid into it, and, and I mean, I squared him up good. And he hit the ground, and he's crying, and you know, he's, he's, he's legitimately hurt. I mean, he is legitimately hurt. And about three seconds after it happened, I had this conviction that came over me unlike anything that I had experienced since my salvation. This overwhelming feeling of my sinfulness. And that night, that guy went from being somebody that I literally just could not stand, I did not want around me, 
to becoming a guy that through the remainder of my high school days, um, I got I got close to. He became a good friend. We hung out a good bit. And most of all, he was a guy who at that time was not a believer who would eventually, before we graduated, would come to receive Christ and, and become a follower of Christ. And if you don't think that God is not good and merciful, the fact that the kind of witness I had before that guy for, for a period of time, um, that, God, that the Lord was, you know, one, able to overcome that, and also able to, to change me as well. Um, but that would have never happened in my life. It's a long story to make this one simple point. I got hooked up, and I got in a covenant community with the body of Christ and this friend who just simply offered to, you know, take me to school and getting hooked up with him, you know, really began to change my life. Uh, it began to help me to grow spiritually. It really began to, uh, to build me up in the faith and was, you know, was able to, um, You know, help me to take steps in my spiritual life that are steps that I could have never taken, would have never taken, apart from that. Apart from that. And so, we need each other. And we need, we need the people who are difficult to love, uh, in our lives because God will use those people in our lives to help us to really learn how to love. And and that night on that tennis court uh, in Golden Springs, I really learned how to start loving. I mean, it, it was it was a... It was a watershed spiritual moment in my life that um, I have I have not forgotten and and haven't gotten over. I mean, look, I still have a long way to go. Uh, there's there's still a lot of me that you know struggles in that area. But when I do struggle or when I am struggling with somebody, I remember that night, and I remember that guy, and I remember how the Lord has overcome that in my life in the past and taught me how to love in the past. And so I use that to encourage myself when I'm struggling and to encourage myself to keep seeking the Lord in that area because um, I know that He'll answer that prayer. I know that He will eventually, and He answered that prayer that night. And what's amazing about it, He actually... You know, you've, you've heard me say before that God permits what He hates to accomplish what He loves. The Lord was in no way pleased by my actions. He hated every bit of what I did. But you know what? I'm convinced that He let that happen so that the good that could come out of that 
would come out of that. He's, he's just wiser than we are. This is the way I'm going to answer this prayer. I'm actually going to let you do something horrendous. Because in it, I'm, I'm going to break you into a million pieces and put you back together again. And at the same time, the person that I'm going to use who's not a believer, all of this will eventually be used to bring this person to faith in me. That's how God works. Strange and mysterious as it is. Not the way that I would do it. Probably not the way you would do it. Um, but nonetheless, it's, it's the way he works. And so, um, none of us can grow in, the, in grace without the body of believers. Why? Because we get to practice grace with each other. That's what it's about, right? It's about us being gracious to each other. And what does that help us to do? That helps us to really to grow. That helps us to grow. Because really that's what we need. We need to be gracious towards each other because none of us are perfect. And if we will act gracious towards each other, yet act loving towards each other, then guess what will happen? We will grow. We will grow. Sometimes we think, well, if, we, if we're just gracious towards them, then we're letting them get away with something. And in the true community of faith, grace doesn't let us get away with anything. Grace says, I know what you did. I love you. I'm here for you. Grace, grace is never turning a blind eye to sin. Grace is saying, I'm going to stick with you and walk with you through this sin towards righteousness. Isn't that, isn't that how God's grace works? In our lives, right? God doesn't look down at us and say, oh, there's Ron again, look at him. He, he's, he has screwed up another time. And it's like the same sin for the last 10 years. I'm just done with him. Grace says, nope, I'm not giving up on you. And I'm not overlooking your sin. But here's what I am going to do, Ron. I'm going to, because of grace, I'm going to walk with you through this sin towards righteousness. And it might take us another 10 years to get there. But guess what? We're going to get there. And the only way we can get there is grace. It's the only way we can get there. And that's the way we're going to get there with each other. And that's why we have to extend and be gracious towards each other. Speak truth to each other? Absolutely. When somebody screws up, grace doesn't say that we can't call them out on it. No, it says, Ron, you screwed up. That's sin. That's wrong. But grace says, but I'm staying with you. I'm going to walk with you through this. 
We're going to get on the other side of this. So it's not overlooking something. It's walking, it's walking to something called righteousness. So, hopefully tonight you leave and you understand that the second leg of hospitality is that you and I are in a covenant community that we need each other. And that some of the, some of the, the greatest ways to really enter into this type of covenantal community is that it's really done... It's not done here on Sundays. It's not done here on Wednesdays. No matter how long you stand around and talk after church, it's still not enough. I mean, no, you know, no matter how many times I get Ron in trouble for holding him up and us having these conversations and Kristen's calling him like, did you go somewhere else? You know, are you okay? I mean, I know we only live a mile down the road now. I mean, did, did you get kidnapped? A duck? You know, did aliens... Uh, take you? I mean, what's what's going on? No, I'm just sitting here having another conversation with Brother Jason. But even that, it's not it's it's not sufficient. It can't happen there. It has to be intentional. It has to happen as we walk through life. It has to happen in has to happen in our homes, around our tables, um, in restaurants, at ball fields, um, on boats with a fishing pole in our hand or a, you know, a shopping bag in our hand. I mean, we, we, where we go out and do life and, and we're connected to each other, we, we realize that spirit is thicker than blood. You may not live eternally with your family unless they're Christians. The only people that you're guaranteed to spend the rest of your life with are the people that are believers. That is, that is the family, that is your forever family. Probably should get to know them a lot better down here before we get up there. Because they're worth getting to know. They really are. They are worth getting to know. And we need, and we need each other more than we know. Father, um, I think every one of us in this room would confess, or should confess, hopefully we would, that in, in, in maybe big ways or small ways, because we're all different, some of us just naturally are, are more outgoing and, and personable, and others of us um, seem to gravitate more towards the, the isolated and the aloneness, uh, the, to being an introvert. But what you have called all of us to, no matter what our personality uh, bent is this evening, is that you have won, you've called us into the body of Christ. You have intertwined us, interconnected us together. You have so designed the church that our faith does not work apart from it. 
We cannot grow apart from a covenant community of believers. It's impossible. There's so much that we cannot, there's so many areas that we cannot grow in because they can only, that part of us can only grow through other, through other believers. And so, we cannot just say, me and Jesus are enough, because the Bible doesn't even say, you don't even say that you and Jesus, that, that me and Jesus are enough. You've put your son as the head of the body. And then you bring other members in. And it's Jesus and the church is exactly what we need to become exactly who you have said that we are. And so I pray that those that are here tonight, those that are watching online, those that might watch uh, this video in the, in the future, that you would stir our hearts uh, for community, for that covenant community, to get into a place, into a, a body of believers and stay and plant ourselves there. Not because of what we expect others to do for us, but because of what we expect to do for others. And turn Eureka Baptist, change our mindset more and more into a covenant community of faith. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.